On today's episode of Double Down Trent, we're talking NFL draft with our draft expert, Gordo McKyper. We're having Gordon talk about the quarterbacks, ranking them one through five. And then we're also going to talk about the wide receivers, Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, and Jalen Waddle. What order does he have them going in? Uh, we also want to let you know we recorded this episode before the Jets made the move with Sam Darnold trade. So some of the Jets stuff may be out of tune, but great episode. Stay tuned for episode number 104 of Double Down Trent. Double down trend, you might want to tune in Talking gambling and sports, predicting who might win Pop culture to movies, let's start up the combo Ryan and Aaron, man versus the motto Keep it authentic and it's always live So competitive, so you know it's always hype Make sure you subscribe, trust you don't want to miss Going all in here on Double Down Trent Hey, yeah, Double Down Trent, let's go This is Double Down Trent all right, welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where we're talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I'm your co-host, as always. I know we've got a lot on the calendar. We've got Final Four. We've got MLB. We've got the Masters starting. But here on Double Down Trent, we've always got time to talk NFL. We've got a special episode. We're talking NFL draft. ESPN, they've got McShay. They've got Kuiper. Well, we've got our very own draft expert. He's our good friend, our mutual friend, Gordon, welcome to the show, bud. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for uh, having me. I appreciate it. I thought you were going to go with the Gordo McKyper uh, nickname after the intro, but uh, yeah, it's fine. Regular Gordo works. I kind of like the Gordo McKyper. You know, it's a little bit of the mix of the two guys, but you know, you're going to be our expert. You're our draft guy, our guru. Yeah, a mix of the two, but um, definitely, uh, I mean, I think that everybody is their own uh, draft expert for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as like the levels of, of obsession go, I would say, you know, I've, I've seen the, the, the full spectrum. So, so let's go into last year. Our mutual friend, uh, Pamby was telling me, Hey, you got to jump on the zoom. Gordon's got this awesome draft thing going. So I jumped on and it was incredible, dude. You had so much knowledge on everybody and I jumped in late. I think I jumped in after the first round. So, you know, casual fans, everyone knows kind of who's going the first round. I jumped in like second, third round, and when the Giants drafted in the third round, they picked Matt Pert. I was like, who the hell is this guy? You had all the information. So give me a little rundown on kind of your history with the draft and how you became this kind of you know expert on the draft. Sure, yeah. Matt Pert, it's an interesting one because he uh, <laughs> actually went to school right around the corner from my house at Governor Dummer Academy. And uh, yeah, he was a tackle there before he uh, moved on to UConn, so kind of a local kid. But um, yeah, I definitely um, absorbed a lot of material leading up to uh, the draft because of some really shitty Brown seasons. So when you have un, you know, uninspiring football going on, you, you look forward to good things. Um, and uh, it was always the Super Bowl for sure. So, uh, yeah, Matt Pert was, um, uh, yeah, one of just kind of the interesting stories. I do have to give some, uh, a shout out there to Dane Brugler. He was the guy who wrote sort of the, uh, introspective on him. Um, he's a really good, uh, athletic writer. If you, uh, if you do get it, he puts out a huge draft guide. So I've been actually subscribing to his since before he was, uh, with the athletic. So it's interesting that he sort of moved over there, but it was a really in-depth, um, guide to all the positions. And then usually I would just focus on whatever the Browns were sort of lacking, like leading up to, uh, you know, the next sort of coming year. So tackle was a, a pretty deep one for us last year. So checked it, checked in uh, pretty hard to that one. So you bring up the Browns and it's very interesting because obviously or 
the listeners don't know, you're a Browns fan. So this year and the past couple of years have actually been pretty good for the Browns. The future is bright, unlike the past few years where it's been a little a little bleak here. Um, so before we jump in and start looking at like who's going in what position and the top guys, um, let's talk Browns for a second because this is a, a little different position for the Brownies. Normally they're in the top couple of picks here, uh, hoping for maybe some you know lightning in a bottle at number one. What's the biggest need for the Browns this year? And who are you trying to target? Who do you have the Browns picking in your kind of mock draft? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's funny that uh, we, we talked a bit about how, um, you know, the obsession comes from having like uninspiring football. We played a little inspiring football this year. So my, my draft knowledge probably caps out a little bit when you don't have the really deep, deep needs. Um, you can actually sign some free agents. So yeah, they went out and got a couple of people, um, to share up the secondary John Johnson, uh, and then Troy Hill, which were, um, both ex Rams, which is kind of an interesting move. Thought that was, um, kind of cool knowing that they have a little, a little bit of chemistry. Hopefully they don't hate each other. Um, and so, you know, bring, bring them in and sort of share up that need. Cause we did talk a little bit last year, you and I about the second round with safety, um, and yeah, Grant Delpit went down early with, uh, with a tough injury. So left us in a, a little bit of a thin spot and probably saw Andrew Sandejo out there on a few, uh, you know, touchdown highlights going the other way. Um, mm-hmm. and that was sort of the result of getting to your depth. I think this is something that I've, I've always really like, uh, found interesting is that the good teams are always super deep. So, you know, if you do well in second, third, fourth rounds, I mean, that, that, you know, gives you a position to at least replace players as they get injured and, and hopefully find, you know, um, somebody who's, who's going to be a diamond in the rough for you. Yeah. And this year, you know, like I was saying, a little different, you guys are kind of in a position where the offense looks pretty loaded. You've got a pretty good line. You've got weapons at receiver. You got tons of running backs. Who's the guy that, uh, the Browns are looking at this year. Um, so I think they're probably going to continue to look into edge players. Uh, looks like the people that they're bringing in at this point on the defensive line are on, you know, one or two year deals. Uh, if they do bring in Clowney. It doesn't sound like he's going to get the, the length and, uh, you know, money that he really wants. So, uh, I'm guessing that's another one of those sort of, you know, one or two year prove it deals. Um, so they'll probably build some depth there. That's, that's my guess for the first round, but I think overall, um, they really got lucky on the offensive line with, um, the emergence of, uh, Wyatt Teller. Uh, that was just kind of a, um, you know, unbelievable uh, coincidence for us. Um, turns out, you know, the guy just kind of busted his ass and, and became a, uh, an all pro, which is pretty unbelievable stuff. Um, but other than that, I would say that, yeah, you, you might look at receiver, even though it doesn't sound, um, too sexy, you know, you, you're going to be like probably wanting to build depth there. I think the Richard Higgins one year deal means he's probably gone next year. Um, I think you want to probably have somebody come in and compete with Donovan people's Jones. Uh, it looks like they're probably going to bring back, um, um, you know, uh, excuse me. It's one of their special teams, Kaderil Hodge on, a, on probably a short term thing. So, I mean, just, just guys that can come in and compete there, I would say, cause they, they might be, those might be like, uh, you know, the unfortunate sort of like roster cuts because it, at the end of the day, you're really not looking at too many more years of both Jarvis and Odell being there. Um, it's just unreasonable to think that you're going to carry those contracts into the future too far. So, um, you know, I, I'm, I'm rooting for Odell. Don't get me wrong. Uh, and I'd love to see him stay, but unfortunately, um, you know, that's probably not your future there. You got to pay Baker. So, 
Um, you know, that, and actually pay Baker is an interesting, uh, story too, because, uh, I have in-laws in Cleveland and there's still a lot of split on, uh, on sort of the future there, which is kind of unbelievable to me, just based on how bad the football has been. You would think that they'd even be, uh, hopeful to watch more mediocre football if nothing else. But, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things where I guess you shoot for the moon and nothing's good enough. One of those just sort of old sports things. Um, so it's, we'll it's interesting you brought that up, though, because I actually I told you this before we were planning to, to schedule this call. I got into it a little bit with Brown's Twitter and it was kind of unintentional, but they someone basically floated out what the contract extension would look like for Baker. And I tweeted back. I was like, I want nothing to do with this. It was essentially a max deal. It's like, you know, 200 million, um, something crazy. And you're, you're locked to him. And I get from the Browns perspective, why you want that to happen. I mean, Baker had a pretty good year last year under Stefanski. looks like he finally like, you know, clicked and, and became that draft pick that everyone thought he would be at one. But my whole point of that was that when you see a bunch of these big contracts being handed out to, to quarterbacks, it almost hamstrings the team and they're kind of limited in the guys that they can then go sign and build around him. So it's really, for me, a weird spot for the Browns fans because you obviously got your quarterback, but then, is he going to be the guy that you give this huge, massive contract to? Um, you know, my thought is I've seen the way these teams are building now around rookie quarterbacks, you know, on those, those team friendly contracts. What do you stand on the Baker contract? Would you extend him and, and give him a big deal? Well, I think what you pointed out is, is so legitimate um, and is ultimately the entirety of the point, right? Like you don't see anybody, getting a deal that's less than the last one, right? Yep. Ultimately, it's everybody's just getting more and more money. So something's got to break at some point where the contracts get too high and there's some type of bubble, right? So um, is Baker the first person to go down on that? Like, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like anybody who... Uh, didn't Andy Dalton get an extended in, in Cincinnati? Like, I mean, these, yeah. it's insane. Like essentially yeah. you're just never going to let somebody walk who gives you a chance at the playoffs. Right. Yep. And you might bring somebody else in and, you know, IE, um, you know, the Eagles situation there. And like, you know, maybe, maybe almost intentionally make somebody look bad if, if it comes down to it, but like, you know, you're not going to just release them and, and, and turn the fans against you. So, um, it's a weird spot that they're in. I'm a Baker fan. Um, but yeah, I, I can totally see the point for sure. Um, again, I think I go back to like, you've seen enough bad football. Don't you want to see some more mediocre football? Like, <laughs> yeah, I don't give a shit. It's not my money. Right. The guy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, Hey, you want. guys made a, a good run in the playoffs, beat the Steelers in a playoff game. I mean, that's, that's what you want. You want your team to be in it. I always joke that, you know, obviously you want to be winning Super Bowls, but the best position you can be as a fan is like by the end of the season, if your team is listed on that in the hunt little graphic they put up on the, on the uh, screen there, if your team is always competing for the playoffs and you make it, that's where you want to be. Just get in. You've always got a shot. So I think that's where you stand with Baker. You just got to root for winning football. You want to know what I think is the future there. I think that they end up start like starting to give away maybe little pieces of the franchise to people that they sign for big deals like that, where they're like incentive laden, like things where they say, we can't pay you under the cap right now, but God forbid you make the hall of fame. Like you own a piece of this thing and people maybe start taking like a little less money up front. I mean, it sounds completely illegal, but I don't know. You have to go somewhere <laughs> with the contracts. And honestly, I don't see how you can go at this pace and have bad players get so much money. It, it, it doesn't really 
I was about to say it doesn't really happen in any other league. That's just ridiculous. But uh, <laughs> the Frankie Lindor thing is ridiculous. It's crazy. Yeah. yeah. We were talking just... about it on a text with my buddies. It was like, how do you turn down $310 million? It's just, it, it's crazy. But I mean, if you're in that realm, that's just different types of money. But yeah, I'm with you. It's, it's yeah, wild. Yeah. But like Not when I'm thinking, far up. right. But thinking like NFL quarterbacks, you look at guys like Kirk Cousins and like Ryan Tannehill, these guys are making like $30 million and they're just like, you know, good enough to compete, but not going to win you anything. So that was my, I almost had to convince myself that I was going to, uh, like Ryan Tannehill because he was our non RG three Andrew luck option. That was fun. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So let's turn to this draft. Obviously Trevor Lawrence is locked in at one seems pretty sold there. That's nothing's going to change that. Um, it's number two with the jets that I think it starts to get really interesting. And before you start talking about the pick, let's talk about our buddy Pamby because he is also not only is he a jets fan, he's a Clemson football fan. So for the majority of the season, it looked like they were getting Trevor Lawrence. They're going to have the number one pick. We are talking about, you're in a weird position as a fan when you're actually rooting for losses. And obviously as a Browns fan, you've been there. So just talk to me a little bit about that. Uh, and, and how Pamby must be dealing with this now falling to number two pick. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, I would definitely say that this is, this is one of the milestone losses for Pamby in his life. Um, (laughs) and unfortunately it's, uh, not the first one. He was a huge Deshaun Watson fan. Um, so, you know, there have been others, but, uh, yeah, this was in the way it went down. It was just cruel. So, um, yeah, I've totally been there. Um, I was going to talk a little bit about the, uh, the winless season, but before we, uh, you know, the Browns winless season. Yeah. But before we wrap that up, I would say, um, yeah. So Pamby definitely hardcore jets fan. We've gone to all of the Browns, uh, jets matchups over the years, um, because they often finish last in the division. There's uh, a lot of them. So they've been back and forth between, uh, actually we've, we've just, just gone to New York. Um, but shit show every time football and otherwise, but, um, (laughs) it, uh, you know, it's, it's last some, it's made some lasting memories. Um, for sure. Uh, the, the, I think definitely the, yeah, yeah. I'll have to say, I think it was Johnny Manziel's first snap we were at. And then last year, the Thursday night game was Baker's first snap too, which is interesting. That's wild. Um, but yeah, yep. Um, we were we were at that one. That was the the helicopter game where Josh McCown was trying to dive over the goal line. <laughs> Don't know yep. if I've ever seen somebody get hit that hard. We were in that end zone too. Um, so yeah, got blown up, and uh, Manzel got blown up the night before, and that was a it was tough how it went down. But um, it was it's always been fun for sure. We'd like to see a little bit better football. Maybe show up to you know a game where everybody finishes you know second in the division, um, making strides. But, yeah. Yeah. So you can only go up from here. Um, but yeah, so I would say that the, the crazy thing about rooting for losses is that ultimately you don't want to see complete failure. That is way, way more disheartening. So the complete failure is when you have, um, something that organizationally seems flawed and that is a really helpless feeling. I, I remember that um, when the Browns were on the outs with their owner, uh, the Lerner family, ultimately, uh, who were good people, but just wrong fit. And, um, you know, then from there, a couple just like uninspiring GMs, but 
you know, that is really when you know you have a, a three year window ahead of you before you can even sniff relevance. That's it's a tough feeling. Um, so anyway, that said, the Lawrence miss sucks because you don't even have to think about it. You have three months of no thinking. And that would have been nice. You can convince yourself one way or another, but there's really nothing you can do about it. So your hands are tied. Yeah. Um, this is tough. Uh, this is an interesting spot where I would say, you know, I don't think last year anybody could have suspected that there'd be this much action in QBs at the top of the draft. There was definitely, um, you know, Lawrence and, and everybody else feeling, but, and, and that, I mean, that's, it's stupid to say because there's a bunch that always emerge, but um, at the same time, I don't think Matt Jones was somebody that people thought would be where he is now. Um, and, you know, product of the offense or not. Uh, I, I really like him. Um, but especially for somebody who's not mobile, it's unbelievable how much I like him. But, um, yeah, his footwork, I, I definitely think is like super advanced and we don't have to go too deep into that, but like, he well, was I do want you to, I do want you to rank the, the quarterbacks, so obviously Trevor Lawrence, but then give me the other guys. So you got Wilson, you've got, uh, fields, you got Lance and you got Mac Jones, obviously. So what sure. order would you put those guys in after Trevor Lawrence? Because everyone's yeah, saying that that field Justin Fields is going to be the guy. And now you're hearing maybe it's different. Yeah, so I would say that like my opinion um, is is a little bit more loose when it comes to positions that the Browns don't need, right? So I definitely am paying attention, but I'm also just like, hey, I can take a stab here and be wrong, <laughs> and like it's fine, right? Uh, but like I've I've definitely like Mac Jones from the start. Stick with that. Um, so yeah, I would go, I would go Lawrence Jones, I guess. Right. But before we get into like the rest of the ranking, I will say that ranking QBs is one of the things that I've noticed that the, the big disadvantage for anybody who's not in a locker room 24 seven is that you don't get any type of interview data. You don't get any type of actual like time spent with the, the human. So you, that is so, I would say fundamentally important for from a perspective of like personality and character and all those things that that's what you miss from like sitting on your couch and you know just doing this uh you know on the you know weekend hacker right but um i would say that uh it's it's definitely one of the more interesting things to um to also speculate because i think the quarterback and team fit is so important so yeah i'll i'll definitely go with the guy who um you know, it seems to be more scheme, like diverse, like potentially scheme diverse as like a more likely hit. I mean, if it obvious fashion, but, um, yeah, I would say Mac Jones too. And then from there, my, my mind was changed recently on Trey Lance. Um, when I saw someone make a Steve near comparison, um, and I thought that was really good. Uh, definitely just from like a fundamentals perspective, uh, or like, let's say just release perspective. I think it was, uh, I'd have to give credit or, but I'd get it wrong. But, um, yeah, like looking back at it, I was like, damn, the release is, is quick. Um, and something that like can looks like super repeatable, brings the ball straight up and, and like rips it forward with some, with some juice. So, um, that was interesting to see for sure. So I'll go with him third. Um, and then from there, I, I guess I'll say fields. Um, okay. you know, I, I definitely think that, um, I'm probably, probably have, um, like a less of a, a like positive spin on him. Um, it definitely looks like he's got a longer release. We were talking about this the other day with Pamby actually. Um, 
but he is somebody who in the past people have given sort of a, a little bit of like a, a pass to like on some of his interceptions because he's being asked to throw deep often, which I think is one of those weird conundrum things like you, okay, yeah, you, you push the ball a ton and, and like, you're definitely like making loud throws. Right. Um, and you're, and you're making mistakes as well. Um, but I think like the complete body of work is what makes you sort of like a, a more easy projection and more like seem diverse. Right. So like, yeah, you, you, you can teach what you want to teach, but, um, anyway, and his release looks a little long. And I think that for the most part he, um, is, but he, let's say he, I don't, he's not an athlete. Like there's absolutely no doubt. Like he's, he's a guy that like is, a young guy tossed into a really hard situation, had to transfer. Like, you know, this is still really early. Like he's still just super raw. Like there's no, yeah. no, no denying it. So, um, yeah. Uh, take we like he, he could end up being the best from who knows. It's um, crazy, man. He, he put up a four, four So that's absolutely insane for a quarterback. Yeah. But the like, game's changing a little bit, right? Yeah. Yeah. And like, what I would say, though, you rarely see the quarterback hit their top end speed. Like they're really not hitting a straight sprint where they're going 40 yards. It's really being mobile in the pocket, being able to move. It's, it's more of that pocket awareness and then being able to scramble to get a first down. Like to me, like guys like Russell Wilson is kind of the model there because, you know, you don't need him to be sprinting, you know, four, four straight down the field like you do a receiver or a running back. I want the guy that's going to move in the pocket by time and then scramble if he needs to. But I, you know, to me, Trey Lance too is a guy that I'm just, uh, I, I've never seen so I didn't watch him at all. I've only seen highlights of him. He just seems so raw. Um, only playing one game, which is not his fault, but like, it's tough to see who these guys are, uh, coming out of the draft, but you made a great point about being the right guy for the right team. Like that fit is so important. And the reason I want to talk about this is because the jets are sitting here with this really interesting position at number two. They've got a young quarterback, and I know Jets fans hate Darnold because he's played like shit the past couple of years, but the team around him has been shit. So they're finally starting to turn the corner here. So if you were Joe Douglas, who I'm going to give a shout out, Richmond Spider alum, so he's kind of my guy, um, what would you do? Would you go? Would you move on from Darnold and, and take one of these quarterbacks, uh, or do you try and trade down and, and load up on some picks? We didn't get a chance to talk about uh, Zach Wilson, so... Let me just let me uh, revise here. Um, I think I think I have probably Jones and Wilson in the same playing field, and then I have um, Lance over Fields. Okay. Um, yeah, I would say that uh, Wilson's um, a, a guy like you said, where I haven't watched enough of him, right? Uh, I definitely watched some Justin Fields. My wife's a, uh, an Indiana fan, so. Um, People and look out for Indiana next year. Um, a great defense this year, and uh, it was actually interesting to watch Fields um, play against a couple of really good corners. So, um, you know, they put they put Ohio State to the test this year, and um, that was one of the games I did watch at Fields. But yeah, again, not not enough of uh, you know um, a need there for the Browns for me to go dig too far into all these guys. And, and Zach Wilson's definitely the guy that I definitely have not seen enough of to really like break it down. But again, like just based on where the game's going, right. Who does, who reminds me the most like these days of, I really like Kyler Murray a lot, like move around a little bit in the pocket, give, 
you know, a guy who um, is going to extend plays a little bit, you know, and, and, you know, still make, make good decisions and, and make off like off platform throws. So, um, you know, he, he looks like he has the ability to, um, you know, play within the pocket still. Um, you know, I do see, I think, uh, you know, a little bit of, of like, you know, maybe a gunslinger mentality, not in the Manziel sense necessarily, maybe more in the Baker sense um, from what I have seen. But um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's uh it's one of those things that's, that's like a, a, a total scheme fit. And what, what one thing that I would love to do is, you know, I, everybody talks about how the Wonderlick test sucks. Like somebody replace it, right? Like right. And these scheme, these scheme fits are so important. Right. And I'm sure teams have their proprietary stuff that they do. Um, but it should be, it should be something that is, you know, uh, omnipresent, whether this person's going to be a positive influence in the locker room or not. I'm so sick. I'm glad you brought up the wonder. Like it's, it's so ridiculous out of like curiosity. I took it last year just to see like what the questions were. I don't understand why they make these guys take this. It has no correlation to the game. And I know it was, uh, ESPN's kind of gimmicky show, but I really like when Gruden had that QB camp because you actually got to see what these guys, these quarterbacks, how they process things. They would draw up the plays. They talk through tape. Like I want to see some of that kind of stuff out there. And I wish these teams, I know, like you said, it's probably proprietary and what they do to, I guess, evaluate and, and get these guys mental states. But those kind of interviews to me would be fascinating. Like get the guy up on the board, drop some plays, watch some film. Tell me what you're seeing. I think that's going to be so much more beneficial. And I wish that we could get access to that. Cause I feel like that's going to help you out as a fan more than the wonderlick test. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's nice that they do have the private workouts where you can bring guys in. And I think it's an interesting thing that they limit the amount of local prospects that you can bring. Like, what the really? fuck is that? Yeah. So there's if you live within a certain like distance of the team, you can bring in those people at like a higher clip than you can somebody nationally. I guess it's to like limit the amount of flights. Yeah. These are like pre pre-draft visits that you can do or whatever. Right. So like if you happen to like play in Texas, you just get a little bit better look at a whole bunch of like, come on. I mean, I'm That's sure they. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I don't know. Whatever. It seems at this point like there there's all these. uh like sort of archaic institutional things that remind me of the NCAA about the NFL that piss me off. Oh, don't even get me started on the NCAA. That'll be a whole separate segment. Yeah. Stay away. Yeah. Okay. So let's look at the giants real quick. So going into this draft, I was dead set on, we got to pick a receiver. They signed Kenny Galladay. So I think they filled a couple of needs here. Um, but I want to talk about the kind of three big receivers that are out there. So we got Jamar chase, Devonte Smith and, and Jalen Waddle. So, you know, evaluating receivers to me is different than quarterbacks. I think it's a little more, you know, watch the tape. What can they do? What are their, you know, their measurables. So out of those three guys, Chase, Devante and Waddle, you know, who do you like the best out of those three? I would say I have, um, I've been a Devante Smith fan, um, for a while now, but, you know, I think that the problem I had with Devante Smith um, which is like, you're, you're really trying to take chinks out of pretty ridiculous armor is, is, uh, just a body type. I was a little concerned, um, with the build, but, uh, other than that, I would say that if you are looking for immediate impact, um, and I think maybe, you know, again, it's a little bit, uh, yeah, it's Devonte Smith for me, for sure. Um, Jamar Chase, 
I think showed up on a national stage like pretty hard, right? And it's hard to forget that, right? The Tua factor where he just comes in and fucking hammers somebody in in a, a big game, and you know it it definitely is um, helpful. Whereas in you know he's playing for LSU, and there's been so much of a track record there um, for sure, and he's certainly not living off of that. Um, but yeah, you're talking about a serious like you know one A one B there. Um, yeah. And then, sorry, who was the third guy you brought up? Waddle. Yeah. I mean, Jen Waddle, um, yeah. So, uh, I know less about him. Uh, I won't, I won't put him in a box, but, uh, you know, you see the athleticism for sure. Um, but I definitely, uh, you know, since we are a little bit, uh, top heavy on receiver this year, I would say like kind of moved down the board a little bit and checked out some of the like lesser known guys. Um, so I was looking a lot at Elijah Moore from, uh, old miss, um, mm-hmm. really liked his game. Um, somebody who I feel like, again, if you t- want to talk about like good value and instant impact, I think you could be looking at somebody there who, um, you know, even on the slighter side, um, can really, can really make a difference. And honestly, like the, that's a like sneaky, um, you know, look at, just look at AJ Brown, right? Like it's somebody who everybody saw him play unbelievable football in college. And I just don't understand when it gets to draft day, what happens. Yeah. I don't get it. I don't, it made no sense. He slid down the draft and it's the same thing. I think this year is the same thing. You're going to see, a lot of really talented wide receivers kind of fall just for, for no reason. And there's going to be a lot of value in the second round on wide receivers. I mean, is it just because quarterbacks are afraid to go play in the sec? And so like these receivers are so hard to figure out because there's like hardly any talent that that's like sitting there throwing the ball. To, I, I just, I don't think I'll ever understand it, but yeah, I think go get some value with one of the, you know, old miss receivers that moved in and only has maybe a little bit less production because of, you know, being just uh, outclassed a little bit before that. But I mean, uh, I think he's, he looks like a great player, um, you know, and then I look, I look at a Rondale Moore type a little bit um, concerning about the injury for sure. Um, Cause that's kind of his game. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a guy where you're like going to look for a third down guy and somebody who can get you like a few yards and just make his, like get himself open for sure. Like I, I love your, uh, love your chances there. So, um, and you know, big spots, um, how do you show up two years ago against Ohio state, blew him out of the gym, out of the building, just like was absolutely on fire. So, uh, I like to see that kind of production in those types of games. So, um, yeah, those are, those are two of the guys that, um, I was sort of just like peeking at because of where they fell. But, um, outside of that, yeah. I mean, if I wanted to say, uh, I, I really liked Bateman, the Minnesota guy. Um, you know, he was, he, they had another, um, another receiver there last year. Uh, I think it was, I got Colin Johnson and Tyler Johnson confused last year all the time. One's Texas and one's Minnesota, but, um, they had another high quality receiver there. And I think he outclassed the other Johnson last year when I was just kind of watching, flipping through some of that stuff. Um, I think he's just like unbelievably good at going, getting the ball. And then again, just like sort of an intimidating presence, whereas you're like, he's going to absolutely like be in your face. And he's kind of just appears to be a little bit of a gamer. Would love to, uh, again, sit down and have a conversation with the kid. Cause he seems fairly determined. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, those, I would say those three, I like, I maybe, you know, move them up a tick over some others. I know I'm not going, um, too deep here. Um, 
I did. Well, uh, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm, I'm with you in terms of the, the top end guys here. You know, to me, Devontae Smith and, and uh, Jamar Chase are like 1A, 1B. I mean, I don't think you can go wrong with either one of those guys. And everyone's freaking out about Devontae Smith's size. First of all, he's got one of the best nicknames I've ever heard, the Slim Reaper. I mean, that's just fucking incredible. Um, yeah. But he played in Alabama, okay? So it's not like he's going up against scrub guys. The guy won the Heisman at Alabama and has been producing there for years. So the, the fact that he's going up against these guys in the SEC, I'm not concerned at all about his size. The guy can just play receiver. He can catch. He can use his body in ways that like is freakish for a wide receiver, and he catches everything. I don't know if you saw the picture of him before the uh, national championship game. He's standing on the sidelines and he looks tiny. I mean, he is tiny, but his hand his, his wingspan. His arms like went down to his kneecaps. Like the dude's got freakish wingspan and can just jump up and, and basically catch anything in his, in his uh, you know, pass catching radius. So I like him, but Chase is just different. I think Chase is more of a physical kind of more of that true, you know, one top receiver X, that you'd yeah. want on your team. So I don't know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's why I think um, maybe Calvin Ridley there sort of rids you of the uh, you know the the a little bit yeah. of a um, maybe preconceived notion Very about you know wiry strong guys, but um, you know I definitely think that uh, for Chase you're right. Like the true X, like if you ever get to the point where um, you know he really reaches his full potential, I mean just you know dominant. Um, and that can carry a team. I mean, just look at Atlanta. It's happened yeah. for it's been been happening. Yeah. It's been happening. So now the Giants got Galladay. I'm not sure they're going to go wide receiver, but I want to ask you about um, Kyle Pitts, the tight end from from Florida. I do think he could be sitting there at 11, but also who knows? Maybe some team just loves what he can bring and, and they take him. So usually you don't see a tight end go this high, but he's a freak athlete too. I think he ran a four, four also. He can fly. He's huge. What do you make of Kyle Pitts? And I mean, is he going to be an, an impact player right away for a team that picks him? Yeah, this is tough, right? Like just in the opposite of the, uh, Calvin Ridley is, is like ridding you of that comparison. You have all these tight ends that are going in the top 10 that have just been kind of, um, you know, at least starting out slow, if not underwhelming. So, um, yeah, I think ultimately he's somebody who breaks the mold. Um, and you know, you don't necessarily draft him to just be, um, somebody that fits your scheme. Um, you know, at the end of the day, trying to throw around comparisons for Travis Kelsey is just absurd. And, yeah. you know, it, he's, he's not that mold. Sorry. Just a difference maker of that type. Right. Um, you can't expect anybody to walk in day one who, you know, you're saying is a tight end and be, that guy we've pretty much never seen it happen right so um yeah i would say it's tough the 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 sort of um the the pathway isn't there to success um there hasn't been a, a history of it um if anybody's going to do it you want a, a guy who looks like that um so yeah he's got a really good chance and again i think that what you're going to see is essentially um, a scheme thing, or maybe uh, I would love to see him go sit behind a vet, right? Like if he went and, and sat behind Kyle Rudolph for a year 
and learn from him, I would feel really great about that. But, yeah. you know, Herb Smith got to do that, right? Or or somebody, you know, who literally can just show him sort of the nuances of uh, sort of staying on your feet, staying healthy. Um, you know, last guy that I can point to is David Njoku, who looked like that, right? Where you yep. just have somebody who is just a freak. And unfortunately, what happened was that he needed to, to be taught too much uh, about the position. And, um, you know, expectations were probably too high. And he was maybe misutilized or definitely was misutilized and that's not his fault. And he, there's nothing to say that he can't go on to go do great things. And there's actually a track record of that people sort of failing in their first stop and then moving on and finding success as an athlete. Darren Waller. Once they learn to to block, once they learn how to uh, sort of fit their role, um, you know, and again, coming in with expectations that high being picked that early it's tough not to get beat up in a locker room when you're not producing, right? Like, you, oh, yeah. you know, so I feel like that's where Njoku sort of stood. Um, you know, that's, I think, I, I think Pitts is a much better player. Um, and I'm somebody who probably was all on board on Hawkinson being picked as early as he was. Um, but I would say that, yeah, it, I would love to see Pitts um, in Arizona. Ooh. Or, you know, I, but it's, uh, yeah, for the Giants, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I have a hard time. Um, where, where do you think the state of the team is? Where are you at on Daniel Jones? Like, just give me a rundown so that I can, I can tell you where, uh, where I fall. Great question. Uh, I still am on the record and maintain that it was a bad pick at six. I, I mean, they just reached. The guy would have been available at 15. He would have been probably available at 20. Um, I think he's shown flashes, but his, his turnovers are just, they're unforgivable. So he's got to work on his ball security and he, he forces some passes. So I'm totally not convinced on Daniel Jones, but he's also had a terrible offensive line around him. He's barely got to play with Saquon um, and really didn't have anyone to throw the ball to last year. So I think this year is going to be a really important year for him. You've seen guys in year three kind of make that jump. We saw Josh Allen do it. We saw Baker do it. You know, that's kind of the the year where you're like, all right, is this going to be our guy or do we have to start looking to move on? And I think this year is going to be that year for Daniel Jones. Now, whether he makes it or not, I don't know. I will say I'm actually surprised and and I'll go on record hand up. I've been bashing Dave Gettleman for three years. I think he's had a really good offseason. I think they made some improvements on the D. They've brought in some guys that are veterans that can play. Um, and they, they finally have a number one wide receiver. So I, I have a little bit of optimism going into this, uh, this season that I have not had in, in years past. So I do think they still need to show up the offensive line. So to me, I'd love if, if, um, Slater, the guy from North, uh, Northwestern, if he fell to 11, I would love that. Take him show up your offensive line. Because like we were saying, I think there's a ton of depth at the wide receiver position where you could get a guy like Rondell Moore at, uh, at, at the second round, you can get somebody like, uh, Elijah Moore that we just talked about too. Those guys could be there in the second round. You still load up on a weapon, but now you build up your offensive line. So I'm going into the season with cautious optimism. I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, I, I actually, it's funny. So Gettleman, I, one of the ways that I, I got into this, um, is definitely being obsessive about the idea of value in the draft, right. Where, um, I used to, and, um, you know, our, uh, Pammy can attest to this. I would fall asleep 
at night a lot, just flicking through Madden drafts where I would just basically watch where people went so that the next time I went, I would figure out like, all right, do I need to like pick this guy in the second round, third round, whatever. Right. And like, you know, I would do it constantly. Um, and that type of thing is, has continued, um, to sort of interest me and, and like infatuate me in a lot of ways. So, um, I definitely think that for the Giants, right, in the position that they're in where you're trying to um, to figure out if you have the answer at quarterback, right, you I, – I don't hate a trade back, right, where you're basically just trying to say, all right, we're, we're in a, a little bit of a pause here, but we're stockpiling talent in positions where we could go out and give them a big contract in a few years if we hit on one of these things. And I like your chances, uh, you know, just – picking a few times between 10 or, you know, let's say call it 15 to 20 and 150, right. And just, um, going back and stockpiling there and just like watching guys play because you do, you went out and got yourself a number one, right. You need help on the offensive line, but there's absolutely no reason that you couldn't employ another cornerback, right. There's no reason why you couldn't employ a couple of guys on the defensive line. Right. And those are places where you can get, big value. Right. And so go get yourself a few guys, figure out a way to like sort of spread it out and spread out your assets a bit. Um, you know, and then, you know, if you, if you do your homework on those guys that fall in that, you know, sweet spot range that you like, but you know, put, put some picks together and move up for another one. If he slips, you know, like that's the kind of strategy that I like for a team where I don't feel like you're unfortunately a player away. Right. Um, no, definitely. and, uh, you know, so you, you and being in the position where you're on the, that rookie deal that we talked about, but you know, you're still not sort of trying to go out and, and kill it in free agency and make that run, you know, spread it thin a little bit and, and try and maybe stockpile and get yourself a deal because there are so many quarterbacks, you know, moving up here and there's going to be, you know, the ultimate result of that is like high end talent falling to about that range. So, you know, you might, you know, passing the high-end talent right because honestly like it's just it's so unpredictable it's such a crapshoot like just give yourself some more bullets sometimes you know i'm all on record for that that'd be my my dream snare for the giants as a trade back kind of feels like one of those years right well and i was saying this for the past three seasons the giants have had the number two pick the number six pick and the number four pick in the last three drafts and all those would have been prime rebuild trade back load up i mean you just saw what the 49ers gave up to move up to number three. I mean, the Giants could have gotten similar hauls in past years and just haven't done it. So I'm all on board. Like a guy, a guy like, um, you know, Pitts would be incredible. He really would. But that's a luxury pick that you're making. And, that, and like you said, I don't think the Giants are one player away. Like if we get Kyle Pitts, he's not all of a sudden going to make us an NFC championship team. You know, like we're not going to be that team right off the bat. So I love that strategy. Trade back. Get to like 15, 17. There's going to be talent there, especially, you know, if if both these offensive linemen go, Sewell and Slater, if they're gone by the time we're picking, I would prefer we trade back. Like you said, yeah. load up because you got to make your picks. You got to hit on your first round picks. And then more <clears> importantly, the second and third round picks have got to be impact players. Like you can't whiff in second or third round. So I actually don't know. Is Slater at this point, is he, uh, has he worked himself into the conversation? Like, is is he that good? He's up there. So he, he, 
he had a really good games against Chase Young. So they showed a lot of his tape against uh, Ohio State uh, two years ago, and he he dominated Chase Young. So shown the potential to be there. Um, it's just going to be interesting to see how it shakes out because I, I'm I'm surprised that you know these five quarterbacks are potentially being talked about being taken in the top ten. So I mean that leaves a lot of really talented guys that are going to fall who are probably ranked higher on the big board, like in you know overall value are going to fall down to that 10 spot. So I think Slater's, you know, he's, he's, I guess, earned his spot. So I think he's uh, behind Sewell as uh, the number two tackle right now, according to a lot of these guys' boards. But, and you know, from what I've seen, I've done a lot of watching on him because I think he could be the guy for the Giants. He can play guard. He can play tackle. Um, I think he would be the pick for, for the Giants. So Slater was a uh, Slater was a, a, a high a top recruit too, wasn't he? Oh and yeah, he just happened to yeah. go to Northwestern. Like yeah. he wasn't some shithead. <laughs> no, yeah. So he was top yeah, recruit. I mean, it's it's interesting. I mean, good for him going to Northwestern, grade school. Um, you know, and don't get me wrong. Like I I think that uh, you know like to like to pick my my offensive lineman out of the Midwest if I can help it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, great great call for sure um i definitely would have to uh learn a little bit more about him but like he's a pretty pretty dominating presence i mean you can't you can't really measure up to sewell um but you know if he's uh yeah if he's there i think that's again sort of the move right ultimately what you're trying to do is put yourself in a position to to make impact picks at really impact positions at this point i don't see the giants like really giving a, a single shit about positional need. I don't know why you would um, right. stay, stay away from safety, stay away from linebacker, stay away from, you know, any pretty much all the skill positions. Like I, I you know, for at least for a bit, like I, I just don't, um, you know, I, I think you need experience uh, on the offense to, to help your guy along, you know? Oh, totally agree. Yeah. So I, you know, we'll see what the giants do. I, you know, I really would like to trade back, but, but we'll see. Um, so, Quickly before we move off of our teams, I know you talked about the Browns, maybe adding uh, someone to, to compliment Miles Garrett. Do you have a guy in mind uh, or, or is there a position that you're looking for, for, for the Browns to go after? Um, no, I've ju- I'm not going to lie. I'm generally like underwhelmed with the edge class. Um, like the two, the two guys from Miami, um, Russo, Russo, and then uh, the, the second guy's name is going to escape my mind, but I think he's like 15. Jalen um, Phillips. Thank you. Yeah. Is, is he 15? Do you have it? Yep. I don't know. Thanks. Yep. Yeah. So uh, honestly, just, just generally a little bit underwhelming. I was hoping that I was going to see some flash there. I mean, sorry. I should say you do see some flash there. And that's the problem is that like, I feel like we need somebody who is going to be not only just a, a like level of consistency on the other side against the run, but somebody who's going to then just, you know, go make, make room for himself and, and get after the quarterback and affect the actual, um, you know, the, like get after the ball. And I feel like as soon as you put somebody on the field, that's one dimensional in that way as the Browns. And, you know, it, it just hasn't really worked opposite miles Garrett at this point. I want to see somebody who's a more complete player over there. You had Olivier Vernon there and yeah, he, I mean, he was great against the run, uh, and he's a he's an average pass rusher. I would say probably below average pass rusher, but he was still putting up numbers over there. And it's literally just you need somebody over there that's out there on every play, scheming up with Miles and making sure that he's lined up in the same places that Miles wants him. Because at this point, Garrett has carte blanche where he lines up. They they let him line up on the left side or right side, and you know you, you need somebody who really is like kind of 
I'm impressive over there, and and hopefully Clowney is that person. I, I mean, I I don't want to like put put too many eggs in that basket. I, I'm not like obsessed with that move by any means. I, I think it's it's a good person, like good player at the right time. Um, but in general, I was hoping to see a little bit more of a complete player at this point. You know what I would take is like, you know, again the, these sort of um, these these change once people get fitted on teams, but. Um, the year that uh, the Eagles took the guy out of, of Tennessee, Derek, um, uh, gonna for, I'm going to forget his name, but just somebody that shows the ability to look more like a, a complete end and, and be able to actually seal up the edge um, and make it easy for your linebackers to go make tackles. I saw too many times where Miles was gassed and they were shifting protection to his side. And now your defensive line where you really need to create pressure with four is just doing shit, you know? Um, and, and that just became, you know, it, it became uh, a little bit of a crutch for them where they had to actually have take him off the field, give him a few blows and then put him back out there and, and let him sort of like head up field. So um, I think it'll be good uh, that Malik Jackson's, Jackson's there sort of heading the way. Um, I will say I would really like to see them get Micah Parsons. I feel like this is a little bit of a luxury pick, um, but something that they're actually able to, to pull off. Um, he would be an immediate impact. They need to get stronger up the center of the defense. And I think that, again, they did that with Malik Jackson signing. I think they got a little bit better at safety. And again, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing them add at safety because just the opposite of what we're talking about with the Giants, we're talking about with the Browns. Like they could actually find some high-end guys there and, and pick an athlete that can go play free safety and learn behind Johnson. And then, you know, hopefully you're lining yourself up for somebody who's a depth player, um, but you don't line yourself up in a, in a Sendejo situation again because that was a nightmare. Yeah. Uh, Parsons is interesting because there there's rumors that the Giants may reach for him at 11, which I, I mean, the guy's a really talented linebacker. He can do a lot of things. He can play in coverage. He can rush the passer. I just don't know if he fits at 11, but I think he'd be a perfect fit for the Browns if he fell down because he can do all those things that you want to ensure that Miles Garrett's not getting the double team every time. Maybe you line up, uh, you know, Parsons on the other edge and have him come off like an outside linebacker. Yeah. I think that would make a lot of sense for you guys. Yeah. Uh, I think so too. Right? And that's an absurd place to pick Micah Parsons. If you're a giant. <laughs> don't yeah. do that. I know. I, and, like I'm, I'm a fan, but it's just, I don't know. What do what, what you going to do with them? Scenario I don't know where what. it happens though. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, 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 yeah, listen, it's, it's funny for us to speculate about some of this stuff because hindsight's 2020. And when you look back at, at this, like, and you hear yourself saying like, Oh, don't take a good football player at 11. <laughs> I mean, that's ridiculous. But yeah. Um, yeah. From, from what they should be trying to do a little bit organizationally. Um, that's, that's not So one of the, one of the things that I uh, started doing when I, you know, before I had kids, was actually making profiles on GMs and their drafting strategies. And Gettleman was one of the people that I did. Um, and, uh, yeah, basically just stacking all of their past draft history, um, you know, across like a handful of Excel sheets and, um, you know, then trying to basically create, uh, like little, just look for trends and, you know, whatever else. And I am not an Excel whiz by any means. So this was pretty basic shit, but, um, you know, when you, uh, are sort of looking at like, a competing team where you have, um, you know, similar interests in a draft and, and you look at what somebody uh, on the GM side sort of prioritizes looking back. 
Um, I did do uh, Ted Thompson too. Um, and then I did uh, the Browns' uh, most recent firing. I'm, I'm crushing it with names tonight. I'm going to forget his name. Um, but the guy that they got from – he was on Hard Knocks. Why can I not remember this? Um, but oh, uh, yeah. He came from the Chiefs, didn't he? Yeah. I keep oh, wanting man. to say Scott Pioli, but that's so absurd. Um, so anyway, John, John Dorsey? Dorsey, yeah, yeah, yeah. So Dorsey had the draft history with the Chiefs, which was interesting because Andy Reid's there. So you're looking at it like I was, you know, I was folding together these sheets of just like where, you know, he had gotten promoted to GM. And I'm like, all right, he's got a huge influence on like these set of years. And I would just like look back at sort of like some of the, um, uh, some of the interesting picks, Tardif Duvarney, the, the, the guard from yeah. uh, the Chiefs, one of his interesting old ones. But, uh, and then Tano Capasso, I can never say his na- last name right, the N from, he was just a, an absolute monster. He's huge, 6'8". Um, anyway, so I think a Penn State guy. Um, so I would look back through all these years and try and just basically figure out, like, I think the Giants were ahead of us, and I was like, what is, what is Gettleman going to do? You know, like, and so I just like folded everything together. So, yeah, it was, uh, you know, you look back and, and look for like hits, but then you wonder in a situation like Andy Reid in, in Kansas City, you're like, how much influence does this guy have? Right. Like he's he's probably losing out to Andy Reid a handful of times. Yeah. Throughout the draft, right. Without like, a doubt. It's not just he's just in. And then another thing that's interesting, too, is these guys never get a second shot. I mean, you get one shot. You know, so looking back at like there was I, I was limited as to how many of these I, these profiles I could actually do. Right. Because it's like how many people get a repeat chance. Right. So you had Belichick and, you know, you have Carol and you have like, you know, some of these big names that have been in places for a long time. But like as a GM, you're out in today's NFL. Yeah. So, yeah. It's shocking, too, that you've seen a couple of guys get a second shot. So like Gettleman, um, you know, but one thing on his profile, because I, I I mean, I haven't done this with other GMs like you have, but obviously I'm a Giants fan. So I've, I've looked into what Gettleman does. Never has he ever traded back in his entirety as a GM, as a Giants or Panthers GM. Never once. So the fact that I'm rooting for this, it's like, you know, it's it's stupid for me to be doing it again. I've been doing it for the past three years, but hopefully he does it because you know, ultimately he he's going to be judged by the Daniel Jones pick. And that, that's where it's going to come down to that draft class. He ended up making three first round picks. So they got Daniel Jones at six. They got Dexter Lawrence, who I, I actually think is a you know stud. He turned out really well. Um, and then he traded back up into the first round to pick DeAndre Baker, who had his issues. And now he's no longer on the team. So yes. it's going to be really tough for Gettleman. But let me uh, let me shift gears for you, because Pamby said, I got to ask you about your unicorn pick. And it's something that yeah. you've done in a bunch of drafts. So give me the uni- unicorn pick and explain exactly what that is. No problem. Yeah. So there was, I think there was a, a, a couple of years back to back where um, the Browns were just out of reach for players that I really liked. Um, I'm going to guess and say it was 2010 and 2011, but um, the Eric Berry pick comes to mind. Um, and so we were at six, I want to say, and um, we had actually just hired a new GM, um, brought him over from Minnesota, um, excuse me, uh, from Green Bay. Um, and it was it was one of those things where I was just looking at our secondary and shambles and just like hoping that Eric Berry, some reason would would slip past, you know, a couple of teams, um, which ultimately leads to like the draft day freak out, which oh. I think is Pamby's 
favorite part of like this whole thing, <laughs> you know, like you're a pick away, but like, honestly, I wouldn't change it for a thing. Like moon when shit in the meantime. And I also like just the suspense of that whole thing is great. Like I, that's what makes the draft fun. Right. Is that you just like have these really strong opinions that like, whether they're like justified or not, or whether they're like, you know, well thought out or not are your opinions. And then you get so mad when somebody else makes a different choice and it's <laughs> fucking arbitrary and ridiculous. But, um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's like what you root for. So yeah, the, the Eric Berry pick, um, where we actually picked Joe Hayden there. Yeah. Um, so it, it was just one of those things where, uh, Hayden actually was supposed to slip further down to like nine to the Niners. I want to say 49ers and, um, you know, I, I guess it was just, uh, you know, whether you were drafting for positional need or not, um, just one of those things where, uh, it, the, the ultimate letdown, um, and there, there wasn't really like a whole lot of, uh, you know, rationality about it. And then the second one was AJ green and Julio Jones. Cause I was a huge AJ green fan. Um, and then, in the very beginning of, you know, I'm sure a massive amount of losing, I was hoping that the Browns would fall low enough to, you know, secure AJ Green's services in Cleveland for, um, you know, my my delight. And unfortunately, they started winning, and that probably really pissed me off. And then I had to go and convince myself that I was as enthralled about Julio Jones, which, you know, after doing some small amount of research was not all that tough to do. So, um, <laughs> I would play Julio Jones highlight videos leading up to the draft constantly for Pambi. And there was one that I can remember specifically that had 50 cent, um, in the background. So I would turn the music up, which I never did. I always watched them on silent, but this one, I was like, all right, yeah, we're going to <laughs> fucking bounce. This one. And, uh, I would turn it on all the time. And, uh, yeah, lo, lo and behold, um, that we moved back for, uh, Phil Taylor and, um, some, yep. some stuff, uh, probably one of those ones that you black out of your head pretty quick. Um, and yeah, that was like a, a two year stretch. Those were back to back. Um, I, I want to say it was like 10, 11, but, um, yeah, two-year stretch of just, are you kidding me? Um, PNB wrote Aaron Curry on here, who I do remember liking, but he was just one of those stretches of, like, you know, over probably overhype about uh, athletes and weak side linebackers that probably didn't yep. need to happen. I totally overhyped. That's the guy from uh, Wake Forest, right? Yeah, Sean Weatherspoon rings a bell, too. <laughs> he was, like, way overhyped. Um, yeah, but... Uh, Been there. I'm trying to mm -hmm. get Pambion. We're going to get him on. Uh, we'll have you come back on and do a little recap, uh, either right before the draft or, or right after we can maybe, uh, or right after we can do a little recap and get him on. He's been trying to get me uh, into the show. Have you seen the YouTube show? I am athlete with uh, Brandon Marshall and uh, Ocho Cinco and those guys on YouTube. I haven't no. It's uh, it's pretty good. I'll be honest. He sent it to me, but he's like obsessed with it. So it's, it's a good watch, especially if you're into football. It's, it's uh, him and a couple of NFL guys just like talking about all kinds of issues. Uh, but the highlight now, this is what I'm now doing to Pamby is, uh, Ocho Cinco used to text his coaches. Um, who, who's the guy who's the Browns coach actually to Hugh Doug, who, Hugh, no, Jackson. Hugh, Hugh Jackson, Hugh Jackson. Yeah. At like four in the morning and he would just text him, Hey coach, I'm open. And that's the text message. Yeah. And he was retelling stories like, Hey, do you remember I would text you that? And he was like, do you, do I remember that? Are you fucking kidding me? Ocho? you did every yeah. fucking night. So now that's what I'm doing to Pamby. I'll text him like, Hey Pamby, I'm open. That's perfect. <laughs> 
Perfect. Love that. <laughs> Dude, before we go, I actually, so I, I, I wrote this down and I want to say it because it's so ridiculous. But the year that we went 0-16, the Browns, the next year was the definition of mediocrity. We signed Tyrod Taylor <laughs> and we drafted Baker. And I went on my honeymoon for week one. And I listened to them tie the Steelers uh, from this uh, bar in Portugal where, you know, obviously no, no chance at watching it. Um, but I, I was able to get on the radio, listen to them tie the Steelers. And then the next week, I don't think – I just have to get this out there because it is literally the most underrated, underappreciated football game that ever happened. Uh, the Browns played the Saints – and their kicker missed four kicks on the day. <laughs> and they lost. But they were down. Okay, so then I was on my honeymoon, came back. I watched this at the Browns Bar, which is in uh, downtown in this absolute dump of a bar that they created out of basically like the trash room of one that's like on the other side. It's tiny. So you can imagine what type of people show up at this thing. But um, So the Browns are down 18-12. Tyrod Taylor threw a 60-yard bomb to tie the game with a minute and 16 seconds left. Catches in the uh, Antonio Callaway catches in the end zone, and I jumped 10 feet in the air. Right, we haven't won in like a year and a half. Right, it was yep. it was just whatever amount of time it was was way too long. <laughs> and I just remember going absolutely ballistic. And next thing up, fucking missed extra point. Right. Games tied at 18. And I was like, this is, I have never felt like more of a Browns fan in my life than this moment. Saints march down the field, kick a field goal, obviously. Browns get the ball back with 21 seconds left. They march all the way down the field, and the kicker misses another one. And they continue their losses streak until the Thursday night game against the Jets, where they played, uh, where they had to play Baker at halftime, and he came back. That Thursday night game, right? And I was at Foxwoods for that one, so you can imagine (laughs) what type of uh, the celebration was happening. So that was just the most ridiculous three-game stretch of my life. I'll never forget it. Um, And, uh, yeah, if you're talking about owning 16 seasons and rooting for losses, like, I've never wanted to stop losing more. (laughs) Well, the future's bright, my friend. You guys are looking good. Um, I think, yeah, you guys are pretty well, that's the thing. I mean, I'd rather be mediocre than shitty, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Just watchable. Just get exactly. me through Sunday without wanting to chop somebody's head off. Uh, there, there's no worse feeling than by the end of September, your team's 0-4, and you're like, this is going to be the longest football season. No relevant games. It sucks. <laughs> yeah, my wife hates me. Oh, I've been there, my friend. Been there. <laughs> well, Gordo McKyper, appreciate you coming on, my friend. We'll definitely get you back on, uh, like I said, either either right after uh, or, or right before. But I uh, appreciate you coming on, bud. Yeah, absolutely. We'll uh, we'll set an agenda. I'll do my homework. Can't wait. Get uh, get a draft. Get a Jets fan on here. Drafts in Cleveland. Uh, COVID's over. Um, wear your masks. And uh, yeah, we'll see you. Love it. All right. All right, everybody. We'll see everyone next week on Double Down Shrimp. Baby, look at me. Look at me. Your money. And you know what else? You're a big winner tonight. I want to leave. You're a big winner. I'm going to ask you a simple question. I want you to listen to me. Who's the big winner here tonight at the casino? Huh? 
Mikey, that's who. Mikey's the big winner. Mikey wins. Fucking All right, fine. I'm an asshole, but you know what? You're the big winner tonight, Mikey. You're the big winner in more ways than one.